0: Welcome to today's episode. I'm here today with a man called Prosper Taravinga. Did I pronounce that right? Please tell me I pronounced
1: it. Absolutely. It's like you wrote it yourself.
0: (laughs) And I am really fascinated to hear his story because what I know about him, I was just doing a bit of Facebook stalking on him, he is from Zimbabwe and when he was 13 a teacher said something that inspired him and he envisioned himself in a coffee shop in Melbourne and he's not only made that come alive moving from Zimbabwe across to Australia but he's also created this uh, online business he's educated himself he's now got a family and that was the other thing I wanted to talk about because When Prosper and I connected, he said, Oh, I can talk about being in a mixed marriage. And I went, Oh, yeah, that'd be really interesting. Can we talk about that too? So, welcome, Prosper. Thanks so much for being on here.
1: Karen, I appreciate your platform and thank you so much for that amazing introduction.
0: So tell me, what happened when you were 13? What was it like? Tell me all about you, because this is all about sharing information and experiences and points of view. Tell me about your childhood in Zimbabwe and what happened when you were 13 to make you want to come to Melbourne, of all places? Not a lot like Zimbabwe. What was that inspiration? What happened?
1: Uh, absolutely so i don't know if you know melbourne is actually rated or was up until maybe last year for business for reasons best known to others it was one of the most livable cities in the world so you can imagine you can imagine all the news that comes along with such publicity that is pretty much all i know about melbourne but something amazing came out of melbourne when i was 13 and that Begins the actual story. So just to give you a bit of background, I was born in Zimbabwe. So Zimbabwe is now classified one of the most poorest countries in the world, where we basically had inflation that was in the seven-figure percent. So just for the listener to understand what I'm talking about here, if you walk into calls. And you want to buy a, mit- a liter of milk, they usually have a catalog at the beginning of the shop so you figure out what else is on special, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So if in the specials they have milk with a price of one dollar, by the time you walk all the way to the back of the shop where the milk fridges are and walk back to the self-serve counter, that milk is probably five dollars. And that is the equivalent of what the one dollar was in maybe the 10 minutes you took walking around the shop. So that's how much the dollar was losing value at any given time. So what that means or what that meant was you couldn't plan ahead or you couldn't really want to schedule time to, to do stuff or buy stuff because whatever money you had at hand was losing value by the minute. Okay. So, how that came about was because our countries had become corrupt, and there was a lot of war between the white farmers and the black farmers, which also made international headlines. And there was also another culture that was brewing in Zimbabwe. We had had a president who had been in power for more than 30 years. Now, if you look at the Australian politics, all right, the president or the prime minister changes hands, somebody goes to tea break as a prime minister by the time it's dinner time, there's a new prime minister in the office. Now, can you imagine having a stalemate where for 28 years you've had the one person in power? What that did, it trickled down to all aspects of leadership within the country. So CEOs held on to their positions until they died, or they could pass on that position to Either a son or a somebody who could be a benefactor for them. It meant if you were not in line for, of leadership, or if your family was not in line for that kind of leadership, there was no prospects of going up. And there was, we did not have amongst us role models that could we could emulate and say, you know what, when I become 18 or 21, I want to be just like that guy because no one was raising up in the ranks. So we are brought up, I'm being brought up in a culture like that. Inflation is rampant. There's no prospects in um, going anywhere in life. And even school never meant anything. Up until when I was 13, an exchange student teacher from Australia came to teach us for two years at my school. Now, That is when my horizon started opening up. First of all, this teacher represented that I could travel and go anywhere else where I wanted in the world and do what I wanted to do in the world while enjoying life. That culture never existed in my head. So you can imagine I'm 13. I can understand a few things now. I started paying attention. All right. And the fact that she was a woman, I'm going to say this with utmost love and respect. In Zimbabwe, women are never really considered as, you know, people that would ever amount to anything in society. You're just meant to look after your family, have kids and get married or something like that. So there comes a young woman who is teaching a subject that is the hardest for any teenage kid, which is mathematics. And is showcasing to us a life we never dreamt or thought was possible. Somebody's bound to pay attention to a lot of those things that were defying societal expectations that I'd grown up with. So I'm 13, there's a new student teacher that comes to my school when they're teaching mathematics and they just start living their life. For two years, I was studying what she did, how she did it, where she came from and getting really, really fascinated about Melbourne and fascinated about kangaroos and everything else that's got to do with Australia, the whole outback, all of that shebang, all right? The one thing that then planted a seed in my head, Karen was. I think this is an Australian saying but use it sparingly because if you use it at somebody like myself you never know what it's going to influence them to do. Karen they told me if ever any one of your kids is in Melbourne please come and have a cuppa with me or come and say hi. For me that now became a challenge. It became an anchor. So you can imagine at 13 I now started thinking I really need to go and let my student teacher know that I'm in Melbourne now. I'm here. Let's have that cuppa. So most of the times in life, we get to choose what we want to redefine our destiny or redefine our, um, you know, our life based on the situation and circumstances that we're brought up in. The picture I painted prior to 13 years old was doom gloom not amounting to anything but something drastic happened which then now got me to refocus and stop looking at where i was planted and i waited about 25 years later i managed to end up in australia which is basically i'm now in melbourne most livable city i think they only waited for a year or two and then pretty much after that, we stopped hearing it in the news. So there's no shrimp on the barbie. And the I, weather.
0: I is the weather. <laughs> I was going to say, we went down to Melbourne when we first moved over here, or my husband did, and he phoned me up. He was. Going for a job down there and he phoned me up about an hour and a half after we got there and said, we're not moving here. It's just like Manchester.
1: Absolutely. So I want my money back. You know, yeah. there's no strip on the
0: barbie and it hasn't been livable in the last two years. But I love it. <laughs> yeah. How, yeah oh, it's a beautiful I know I'm making fun of it but it is a fabulous city it really is I do love it just the weather wow is it like <laughs> the weather in Melbourne for going out loud absolutely absolutely how did you manage to get over to Australia because it's not easy to get a visa for one but what did you do in order to save up and how did you actually did you have a a plan for what you were going to do when you got over here or did that kind of all fall into place when you got here?
1: So you see, when an an idea has been ignited, the how, the where, the what usually is now beyond you and no man can actually stop that. My vision, my horizon had been pegged at Australia. I wanted to do what that teacher was doing. So as soon as I finished high school, the closest thing I could get to access to Australia was I moved to a tourist town called Victoria Falls. So Victoria Falls is one of the most picturesque waterfalls in the world. I hope it still is. I haven't heard about it in the news lately, but it's a two-kilometer waterfall that has a upper level of the river, which is calm and you can do sunset cruises there. And then there's a hundred meter drop, which is I think one of the highest water drops in the world. I'm not sure what the Niagara is, but I think it's one of the the biggest. And then at the bottom of the river, you do rafting excursions because the water pressure takes it down. So that whole area is full of tourism. So people from all over the world come spend time there. And I got to learn about that. So I moved myself to that city and In my mind, I was thinking if all these people can travel and come, I can learn from them and I can get access to what they know. And the more I know that, the more it will propel my journey to the destination. When we were growing up, not a lot of people were going overseas because it was unheard of. And you asked about the visa. So coming from a country like Zimbabwe, where I think we were part of the Commonwealth, but we're not anymore because of sanctions you had to produce enough finances in your bank account that was equivalent to I think $90 a day for 90 days. And you can imagine we're working in an area where we're earning about $230 every single month. So I had to work and and that $230, that's my food, my board, my livelihood. And We also have something that's called black tax in in our culture, that if you have succeeded in life, you got to look after, you got to send the elevator down for your siblings and cousins and extended family. So from that $230 that needed to happen, and on top of that, save enough to get on a flight and also match the 90 by 90 equivalent of the money that the immigration wanted to cite. So that took me about six years to come up with. In the process, I was, you know, working within the tourism industry. I think I was doing two or three jobs up until I started a business where I was doing cruises above the Zambezi River. That was my first taste of uh, entrepreneurship. It did come with its own problems because the insurances were too 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 big you know you're taking people where there's hippos where there's crocodiles you gotta make sure that you're insured to the teeth so all the profits that we were making were just paying for insurance and we were trying to brand but that didn't go very far and i soon gave up that opportunity um because there was not a lot of traffic of tourism that was coming in lately. So that didn't work. So I moved to a country called Malawi, which is also another poor country. But I was working for a telecommunications company there, I've sort of giving up hope on the whole Australian dream. But for some weird reason, the team and the people that I started working with in Malawi had a sister company in Singapore, which is the same owner of Optus. So I was working for that same company and there was a new technology that came up, which is called WiMAX technology. All right. So for us to be able to install it amongst the people in Malawi, we had to learn about it. So I was flown to Singapore and something else happened when I was in Singapore. We met our Australian counterparts there. That reignited the whole spark. They were talking about everything else that they're doing and, and how vast and nice Australia was. And I was like, nah, guys, I think my vision now is to work towards that. So 29, 2009, that's when we I was in Singapore for about three months. And 2011, I found myself at Melbourne International Airport with a backpack full of nothing but hopes and dreams. And I was like, I'm here. Let's make it happen.
0: So when you got here, was your intention, were you going to work for the same company or did you just have no idea what you were going to do?
1: Well, prospects were that I was going to work for the same company, but the opportunity that I got was to work on the phones. So I didn't like that at all. And obviously when you come to Australia, whatever qualifications you might have from back home do not equate. You have to do a whole lot of Um, jumping hoops in order to uh, get um, as much. I've got a statement um, that you got to work twice as hard to get half of what anybody would have been uh, brought up in Australia to get, which is a okay because it pushes us to to want more, be more, and aspire for more. So uh, I then started working in a restaurant because that was easy. Um, My English was good, and that was real quick money because I was – quickly running out of cash as you know you arrive at a place you're gonna need to get a place to stay you're gonna need to get acquainted etc etc so you always gonna need cash flow and um yeah one of the jobs that I did was work in a restaurant and when I got there and your podcast is all about relationships and everything else human beings are societal beings so naturally when you are around people you want to connect you want to relate to other people that's how we thrive So when I got there, working as a kitchen hand, you're just face down, washing pots and pans. You don't even speak to the next person next to you unless you're asking them to either move or passing them something. You know what I mean? There's no connection if you don't catch up with them, maybe on their smoke break or whatever. Because the job was so tedious that nobody hung around for drinks or anything. Everybody just went home so I really wanted to connect with the people that I was working with. Coming from Africa, we're laid back. We're clan-type people. And I felt very, very lonely around everybody else. You walk into a tram, everybody's got airports, iPods, a lot of stuff coming out of their ears and nothing coming out of their mouths. Back then, we it was just unheard of to even talk to the person next to you. So... You can imagine, I've, I've come from a place where I'm talking to hundreds of people a day to zero, all right? One thing that happened to me then was I started running up my phone bill because I just needed to talk to someone. So I was connecting with people and friends back home. And I remember that phone bill came up to about, it started off at 900 and I couldn't pay. it. And then it was, yeah, that was a lot. Yeah, you can imagine all of those things are just happening to somebody who's just arrived in the country. Then I decided, nobody asked me or I didn't ask for any permission to create a Facebook page for the restaurant that I was working at on Lygon Street in, 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 in Melbourne. And that didn't go well with the restaurant owner because back in those days, the internet was untrusted and it was just a glutton or, for lack of a better word, a platform for negative comments and reviews from nasty people and he didn't want that so I was doing my dishes one day after I had created the website and I'm like telling guys hey if anyone is on Facebook just join the page and then we can connect I did it for the stuff but obviously that's somebody's business that's somebody's premise so you can't do that and I don't know who the goody two shoes was who went upstairs and told my then boss that somebody's doing something with your business and I don't think it's okay. He came flying. I don't know if you've seen in in uh, movies or in uh, TV shows that the door between the kitchen and the restaurant is a swinging door, but there's a wall there and a wall there and it stops. I think on that particular day he came bolting through that door. And he must have gone 360 and hit him in the back while he was, and maybe that—that that is what got him super, super angry. Like, Who did this? He already knew, but he didn't want to confront me. Who did this? And I was like, oh, snap. Sorry, sorry, that was me. Who gave you that permission? It was very scary moment. Can you imagine if that would have been maybe the first sort of conversation I'm having with somebody and it, somebody yelling at you and you're like, oh, my God, I've done something wrong. Yada, yada, yada. And um, yeah, so he was super, super mad. And I remember this clearly because he was on a Thursday. And on the Friday, nobody was talking to me because now I was dumb as goods, you know? <laughs> No one was even wanting to be near me because they didn't want to be associated with what had just happened. Um, And I don't think anybody had ever seen my boss that angry. And I take it down. Don't do this thing. This is my business. We've had this restaurant for over 50 years. and We've got ways of doing things around here. So there I am. I'm just really, really sad, sorry, and helpless. And on Friday, I went to work, and I just couldn't work. And then on the Saturday, I had my day off then And on Sunday, I didn't go to the the restaurant at all Because I was nervous Because I've been told to take it down And I I just wanted to make sure that by the time I go back to work, everything happens So unbeknownst to me, on the Saturday and on the Sunday Two girls had gone to that restaurant And they had somehow found that website And left the best review All right, So, so now the tables started sort of turning because he started seeing this as a platform that we can actually generate really good reviews. They tagged themselves in it. And I think another couple and an old client wrote something as well. And that now became one of the best things that have ever happened to my entire life. Because on the Tuesday that I then came to work, because restaurant's for some reasons, don't open on Monday. Some restaurants don't open on Monday. On the Tuesday, I came back to work. I was then asked to stop what I was doing and go upstairs and do the internet. So that now meant I was now in charge of looking after the social media for that restaurant. So you know, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots looking backwards. I literally created my own job because that client up until last year was still my client and I've kept them and I've been doing stuff with them. And we've also started a whole influencer marketing campaign for them where we're bringing in celebrities, we're bringing in models and that's Another story of how I then really, really started escalating in in the modeling scene in Melbourne. And now my kids are doing it as well. So that's that's another thing. So, yeah, so I started doing the Internet and that marked how I then started developing my digital agency because he now wanted me to look after that and got a lot of success because back then not a lot of people had Facebook pages so if you'd go on Facebook you'd see all the content on the internet and basically people were now just liking commenting oh my god we went people would write we had our engagement party there the best place best best food best Italian food etc etc even if you look at it right now they have Over 3,000 or 4,000 reviews just from people, and they've only just started changing the logos and the photos from what I created. So it is something that is really, really remarkable moving forward. So, yeah, I landed in Australia, started working in a restaurant, did the worst thing that became the best thing for me.
0: And so, you were saying moving forwards, you started becoming involved in the modelling industry. How on earth did that happen? That's not much of a connection. Zimbabwe to a restaurant in Melbourne to modelling. What happened there? If you look up on the
1: internet, I think there's an article about me from the Daily News that has actually said I became one of the fastest growing uh, most recognised faces in the Melbourne uh, modelling industry. All right. So what then started happening is I now created a scenario where we now needed to have famous people, and I think I would like to say I'm, I don't know if other people were doing it. That is when influencer marketing was actually getting started within Australia, and people didn't quite maybe have a name for it or didn't know what it was. I mean, stuff like that was happening already. Um, it was called hero worship, where you'd have celebrities and and models and people that would endorse a product not Sally or Jane from down the block who've got 25 followers on Instagram. So I started looking for those local people that had some bit of a following and started inviting them for either a free meal in exchange of photos. So we wanted to make the restaurant look like it's an upper-class go-to place where socialites go to. And that was an idea that I had coming from my cruising days when I was doing my cruises in Zimbabwe because we were trying to bring old and well-known people to be seen as if they're patronizing my business so Melbourne is awash with footballers and I started connecting with footballers even in one of the shows with Real Housewives of Melbourne And I even then went on and got one of their first season ladies, obviously for non-disclosure agreements. I'm not going to mention the name, but we launched her yoga uh, clothing label based on that alone. So basically what I started doing was started inviting all these celebrity people and wanted to exchange. It's called time for print. So they get a free meal or something like that in exchange we use their photos in our marketing. So a lot of models started hearing wind of that. And I now had a backlog of people that wanted to come in and, and do that contra arrangement. I then noticed that not a lot of people are doing that sort of, Format and I, the people, the models. I was asking, how do you get other jobs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Where else do you work? Because that now started piquing my interest. I realized there was not a lot of platforms that were there were agencies, but some models could not afford to maintain a profile within an agency. So I went on, started investigating how I could be a part of what they were doing because it was fun, it was interesting, and you know, getting connected with all those people. Another passion of mine sprung up. When I met the teacher, she was talking about Neighbours a lot because it was the biggest export of Australia by that time. And when I started asking a lot of questions, I actually realized you can go and become an extra on Neighbours. So I went in, I did the thing, signed the forms, and I think I'm on 14 different episodes of Neighbours. So that now created a whole new, wait a minute, I could do this and started really, really crafting relationships with agencies, crafting relationships with other models, crafting relationships with people that were, yeah, socialites of the town. Now I'm no longer that kid you never knew. I'm now being invited to parties. I'm now being invited to all these other activities because I had something to offer. Now, this is something that I actually learned. You might think that the world or everybody else is ignoring you, but people pay attention or people give value in direct proportion to the value you're giving back to them. When I first came, I was complaining that nobody's talking to me. Nobody's checking me out or, you know, acknowledging me because I was not giving anything. Now that I, I had started connecting other people that, Never knew they could be connected. Being invited to all these people and bringing my crew and their crew meeting and people getting jobs out of that, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. A lot of people started asking me if I could help them get jobs, and I didn't want to say no because I was enjoying that. We then went on and created a company called Iconic Image Group, where I partnered with photographers and models and we were doing photos for them and trying to find brands that were looking for free exposure so that we would connect all of those people. So I would send a team of photographers to go take photos of an upcoming clothing brand and send the models. Each and everyone was benefiting from that and it was all for free. So that Really, really grew into something big up until, like I said, I started attracting clients like um, Housewives of Melbourne, and we've done stuff with Maya. I've even done a few uh, contra things with David Johns because David Johns has you know, companies bringing in their merchandise and we had a company that had um, their merchandise in Davy Jones's. So, so all of these things just started happening only because I realized that now I have an opportunity to never be alone again. So let me bring in all the people, relationships, connections that I find from wherever I go together and I become the linchpin so that nobody ignores me. So that basically now just moved into working with a lot of brands. And I then realized from then on that, yes, we are creating this content for them, but no one is amplifying that content. No one is marketing those messages out there. And I started providing social media services and then started providing search engine optimization services. And I started providing all these marketing services for these brands. So all of these things I have created for myself grow just moving up only because I did not want to be ignored.
0: Can I just ask you on a bit of an aside here? Did you ever have that cup of coffee with your teacher? It happened. It happened. So while
1: I was now doing all of these things, I thought back to myself again. I'm like, wait a minute, Prosper, this is not just your own doing. Somebody helped you out, sparked this theory and idea in your head. For some weird reason, the, the whole wanting to give back gratitude and just to say thank you started brewing inside of me now. All right. Because I was now having a lot of people coming back to me saying, oh, because of you, I did not give up. And I was like, wait a minute. I think there's somebody who needs to hear that. So I started searching. Around to see if I can find her I looked up on social media She's a very private person I looked up everywhere else And I caught the attention of the local police in in Richmond Yes, because yeah, I went there And I was like, yeah If there's somebody that I'm looking for Something like that So they also had to Investigate me. I mean, I always joke about that, and I say when I walked in there, they're like, um, "While you're here, you do fit a description, you know." So, so I went in, and then we just started talking, and they were like, "Yeah, leave it with us. We will find out." I mean, obviously, it's not a criminal thing. It's just it's something like that. So, while I was walking the day when I was going to find out if they've gotten anything for me. I came across the publicity arm of the police and they were like, you've got a really good thing that maybe if someone is, if we find this teacher, this could be a good story. I mean, the police just doesn't want to be associated with bad stuff. You know, oh yeah, we caught the robbers. We, we caught the druggies. They also want to feel good stories. And for some weird reason, around right about that time, Karl Stefanovich, presenter at Channel 9, had a show that was called This Time Next Year which basically was taking people on a challenge that they would complete and achieve something within 365 days or a year. And I felt like, well, this could be good. But also, I didn't know if she wanted to maintain her privacy, et cetera, et cetera. But I was so drunk with the publicity that I was now getting that for me, that was not like, you know what? anything. Let's go with this. So I appeared on the show and I mean, I started negotiating with the Channel 9 crew and they said, okay, this is what we can do for you. We will provide you with everything that you want, flights to wherever, but you leave the storyline and details to us. So I literally, that was my first story that I sold to the media and To me, you can imagine, young kid from Zimbabwe, now I'm doing media negotiations. I'm like, yeah, let's go for it. So flights, uh, hotels, everything else was looked after. And they connected me with my teacher. She's teaching aboriginal kids in, in the Northern Territory there. So all the flights go there, all the camera crew, felt like a celebrity, you know, showing up to her. And we met for the first time in front of a a TV camera crew. We met, she showed me photos and everything else. We cried. We had the coffee. So for me, it was now a whole journey that was unfolding in ways that I never dreamt of. And I have now pledged to her and to everybody else that has watched my story and and watched my evolution that I now want to represent an idea that each and every one of us can be, do and have whatever they want. No matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter where you're coming from, where you are is temporary. If you really, really look towards something and work hard towards it, you too can be, do a, have a happier existence. So I told her that and I pledged to help her if she's got any projects that she is uh, working on with her students over there. So, I mean, obviously this is a public p- platform I'm not going to disclose what we're doing, but yeah, we are helping out a few other kids from back home, and realize their goals. So it's not necessarily about coming to Australia. Some kid might want to be a pilot. Some kid might want to be a doctor, a lawyer, a nurse, or whatever it is. We're just putting them um, not through formal education, but through a mindset and everything else to really realize that what they see in front of them is, is just uh, a stepping stone uh, towards being, doing, and having a better existence. So yes, I did go and have a coffee with her. And now we're semi-business partners in the foundation that we have created together. So what I want to say and what I want maybe you to realize right now is yes, we might be talking about this on a podcast, but you never know who you're influencing. You never know who's going to come across the work that you're doing.
0: Talk to me, going back to when you went to the police station and they said, you look like someone who could be of interest to us. How has being African in Australia impacted you? Has it impacted you at all? Absolutely. So, and that's a
1: really, really good question in light of, um, you know, all the Me Too, Black, Black Lives Matter movements that are happening in life. And I'm going to say this out of love and respect. People will value you in direct proportion to the value that you bring to them at that particular time. That's one thing that a lot of people don't quite realize because at any given moment, people have seven values. I think that's according to Martini. You've got your spiritual mission. You've got your relationship mission. You've got your vocation mission. You've got your... Financial mission that you've got to fulfill into the world and bring value to the uh, marketplace. You've got your societal obligations and you've got your relationships that you've got to give to whoever is around you. And then you have a mindset. So when people approach this aspect of race, they are generalizing a lot of things. You could be the best bus driver and people depend on you, but you could be the worst human being who buys a coffee and you would think just because of what happened to you at that particular instance, automatically your whole life is painted by that one occurrence. So if people really peel the onion, all right, and shed a bit of tears, whenever that happens, you should just look at at what aspect am I approaching this scenario? Because if they want a brain surgeon, At that particular instance, and you just so happen to be a good teacher, you are not needed in that room. All right. So if they want a pilot and you're a very good, world-renowned husband, you are not needed in the cockpit. So when people then start generalizing based on one particular situation around an event that has happened and they then morph it into one box of race. That's when we're losing it and we're missing the whole big picture. Who are you and what are you bringing to the table in that instant? So when I came to Australia, like I would have thought, "Ah, you know, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm arriving. And there's one thing that doesn't maybe if if this is going to be a video that the audience is not going to know. I had really long hair. (laughs) <laughs> and and that long hair made me feel like a lion you know i thought i had a mane so dreadlocks you can just imagine i was obnoxious and i thought i was god's gift all right so everywhere i was going all right i was meeting and encountering confrontation but that was not their problem that was my problem because i was expecting every person to treat me with the respect of my mother. And that's never going to happen. So I would walk up to a restaurant and look around and think that if people don't show up in two seconds and offer me a table, they're racist. If I would walk to a football stadium and people would just look at me funny or clutch their purses, I just automatically think they're racist. But they do that to everyone. I've, I've seen that. It's a natural reaction. So you need to really figure out who you are and what you're bringing to the table. And is that table where you are at that particular moment? So if somebody doesn't respond to you in a good way, maybe you're sitting at the wrong table for who you think you are. So it's something that a lot of people don't understand, and I'm not going to be the person to preach and teach around that. But what I've done is I've taught myself To be the best version of who I can be at any given moment and create rapport with anyone within two seconds of meeting them. If people see us right now, Karen, they'll think we've known each other forever. We only just knew each other at the beginning of this podcast, didn't we? So that's exactly how I've just learned to operate. And... Through that, I've created relationships with people that are well known within this whole industry. I'm on first name basis with some radio DJs and I've done radio skits, and I'm just one of those people that when I show up to a place, I make sure everybody feels good about themselves. It's not about me, it's not about my ego. And that's the sort of message that I want to impart on my two beautiful girls. Now, the two-year-old is a little bit confused right now. She doesn't know whether to speak Zimbabwean or to speak Italian because her mom is Italian. So we now have a blended family. I mean, blended in, in terms of racial blend. blended, not blended as in people that have come to meet together. So my wife is Caucasian and I'm African. And there we are. We're raising a family. We are... I think one of the happiest people that I know, because if there's anybody else who's happier than us, I go and study them and see what they're making any different. And if we can get to that, we reach to that level. So we're coming from totally different backgrounds. We're coming from totally different life goals, aspirations, hopes and dreams. Yet we now have this family with two gorgeous kids and we've been strong ever since.
0: Thank you, Prosper. I really appreciate it.
1: Hey, you brought this platform to us. So whoever we've created it for, they're the ones that are really going to benefit from this. Not everyone is going to listen to the end, but if you're listening to this part right now, Karen has frozen a moment in time that is especially for you. And obviously you needed to hear this. So Karen, on behalf of everybody else, it's going to change their lives or become a better human After having listened to this episode and many other episodes, thank you. I appreciate your time today. Thank you.